Christian Family Church. Don't often get to say this, but did you enjoy the snow last week, Monday? And how many of you this week have enjoyed the privilege of having running water? Hey, it's only after you don't have something for a while do you realize how much you need it and how privileged you are to have water to flush toilets and to have a shower. I don't think it was the easiest week for many people with stage six load shedding and water cuts and snow. Um, but it looks like most people have made it through the week. Good to see you. I'm going to release the baby's Bible class. You guys, if you haven't already gone, you guys can go off to your time together. And today I have the privilege of starting a brand new sermon series that we'll be doing for at least the next two months. It is going to be a study of the letter of 1 Timothy, and I'm going to encourage you for the next two months to bring a Bible, because this is a letter that we are going to study. We're going to do an expository sermon series on it, which means we're going to try to teach through it um, verse by verse. I have six different preachers that I'm going to use for this series. We're going to build a preaching team that will help carry the load for the preaching, and what better way to do it with the team than to preach through a letter, so it's not just going to be a topical sermon series, but we're going to preach through um, the letter of 1 Timothy. So I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles, whether it's digital or a hard copy. And what I want to do this morning is I want to start off by actually reading the full chapter, and I'm going to encourage you to read it in my translation that I'm going to use for this sermon, and that's the New Living Translation. If you have a different translation, just read. Let me read it first, and then you can follow in your passage. The reason why we've called the sermon series Blueprints for the House of God is because Paul in chapter 3 says this, verse 14, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the house of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So this year we've had our sermon, we've had a theme called, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is a, a series that we're going to look, on, look at some practical things for the house of God. This is, is in a sense, a manual that, on how to conduct ourselves in the Lord's house. So we're going to do our best to look at the context of this letter. Why is Paul saying these things to Timothy? What are the hearers hearing? What are some of the challenges that they are facing as a local church? And how is it applicable to us today? How is it going to speak to us as a local congregation? So let's turn to chapter 1, verse 1. And you can follow with me on the screens. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. We're going to do chapter one today. Um, so we're going to work through it and just be patient as we read it. And then we will um, elaborate a little bit more on it. So verse one says this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith, May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God." 
The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about. Even though they speak so confidently, we know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other, mord, mur, other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral and who practice homosexuality, or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence I persecuted his people but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious, gracious our Lord is. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example for his great patience, even with the worst sinners." Then others will recognize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. We're not finished yet. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Okay, big breath. Let's go back to verse one and let's look a little bit about some of the context as to who wrote this letter and to who it was intended for. So this letter is from the Apostle Paul. So even though the, the letter is 1 Timothy, Timothy didn't write the letter. It is written by the Apostle Paul and it's addressed to Timothy, who Paul says is my true son in the faith. And he says, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. A little background to the letter. It is written by Paul around 62 to 63 AD while he was in Macedonia, which is modern day Greece. It was written to Timothy, who was the pastor. I don't know why this mic is making this noise. It was written to Timothy, who was the pastor slash overseer of the church in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. And it is known as one of the letters in the pastoral epistles. So the pastoral epistles are 1 Timothy and in chronological order, Titus and then 2 Timothy. It is addressed to the church in Ephesus and it is addressed to Timothy, which he will then read and, and uh, read into the local congregation. 
Now, Timothy is from the city of Lystra, which is in Turkey. His mother and grandmother were Jewish believers. Um, You'll see in 2 Timothy, Paul actually acknowledges his grandmother and mother and, and thanks them for the role that they've played in Timothy's life. His father was Greek, uh, and in a Jewish culture, um, the child then adopts the religion of the mother, because often men would go off to war, and, and it is uh, the, the, the tradition of their, their belief is often passed down through the mother. But, but Timothy had a Christian mother and grandmother, and it's an important to see the role that parents can play, and even grandparents can play in the spiritual life of the young people. Timothy was around 15 years of age when, when Paul led him to Christ, and now this is about 15 years later when he is now leading the church. So he is a 30-year-old pastor leading a congregation, and he is facing some challenges. Paul frequently refers to him as my traveling companion and co-worker. And if you read the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, I think he mentions Timothy about 18 times. And he calls Timothy my true son in the faith. So the Apostle Paul, Timothy is not his biological father, but a spiritual father. And, And Paul is mentoring him and raising him up to be the young leader that he is. Um, Timothy is Paul's apostolic representative to this church. Paul spent a lot of time, I think three years in this church, working with this church, so he knows the church well, and Timothy is his representative. When we look at the life of Timothy, he looks like he is quite a timid young man. He seems to be fearful, and often Paul in these letters encourages him to be, uh, don't let them look down on you because of your age. Be confident in who you are. He also encourages him not to be fearful. Um, and we will see some of the, we'll see in one of the verses where he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. This is a verse that is found in 2 Timothy. So we've got to look at some of the key Um, points of the first chapter, and we're going to look at some of the things that we can learn as a local church from the first chapter. So he is encouraging Timothy to stay in Ephesus. As most pastors have encountered with working with people, people can bring you great joy, but they can also be very frustrating at times. And he seems to be encouraging Timothy to stick around because it seems like he wants to leave. So in verse three, it says, when I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus. Sorry, this was all supposed to happen earlier. Did you all get it? When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. They're like going back into the law and into Genesis and looking at genealogies. And he says, don't let them waste their time in endless discussions. These things only lead to meaningless speculations and don't help people live a life of faith in God. So he has to go, this young leader has to address these false teachers in the church. Paul is encouraging him to confront these guys who are like wolves in sheep's clothing who are causing issues. They are saying and speaking and teaching things that are contrary to God's truth. Paul says, my purpose of instructing all believers is that they would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, 
and genuine faith. So the first thing that we're going to look at that's going to define us as a local church, and that has to do with sound doctrine. Now, church has always struggled with false teachers who try and get into the church and bring division, bring heresy, try and divide the church. It is not anything new that we see today. It has happened all the way back when the early church started, these false teachers that have false teachings. We as a local church, when we preach from the pulpit, we want to preach God's word. We, want, we don't just want to do motivational, feel-good sermons. We always want to go back to scripture and we want to study God's word. We, want to be, um, we don't want to be flexible on the things that the Bible is not flexible on. But there are things in scripture where there does seem to be some flexibility. And I want us to trust that from the pulpit that we have sound doctrine. When we look at the things that are non-negotiables, there are things that we will not be flexible on. And those are things like Jesus is the Son of God and Son of Man. Jesus came and he really died on the cross. Jesus really rose from the dead. And Jesus is really coming back. There are things that we are not going to be flexible about. But then there are things like how is Jesus going to come back? And there we've got some of all the different beliefs about eschatology and the return when Jesus comes back. So when we have these discussions, I want us to remember this diagram. We have absolutes that define the orthodox Christian traditional belief. Then there is a circle called convictions. Then there is a circle about opinions. And then we have questions. So some different denominations and churches might look at, let's say, an example of conviction might be the Lord's Supper. And they might say, you know what, every Sunday you need to partake of the Lord's Supper. And some denominations would say, when we eat of the bread and drink of the blood, it is really his body and really his blood. And others might say it is symbolic of his body and it is symbolic of his blood. And some might say it has to be the pastor that distributes the Lord's meal. And others of us might believe in the priesthood of all believers that all of us can can take communion, whether it's around the table at home with friends, we can all participate in the Lord's Supper. But many people would take what they see as a conviction and they would say it is an absolute. And when you get into debates and discussions, even in your life group around the series, it's important for us to stop and think, is this an absolute to the orthodoxy of traditional Christian beliefs or is this just a strong conviction? Then we've got a circle of opinions. For example, you might say, when we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, some people might say, when you get filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, everyone has to speak in tongues. Where others might say, you know what, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but not everyone speaks in tongues. And that might just be an opinion you have on it. And then you've got other things like questions, questions that we don't fully understand, and maybe it all, again, has to do with the end times. Maybe you post-millennial, pre-millennial, um, or pre, it's all the, some of the four different understandings of how Jesus is going to come back. But I want to encourage you as a local church that we want to trust that we can guard against false doctrines. And you have to be someone that spends time studying His Word, You need to be someone that knows God's truth so that when something comes out of the ordinary that that you go, hmm, that doesn't sound right. 
You see, this isn't just a, a pulpit problem. This is a problem that can come through in podcasts that people listen to or books that people listen to or your latest TikTok videos that you listen to where false doctrine and beliefs can then creep into an understanding of God's word. Here at New Creation Family Church, we always want to read different people that are going to preach. I want to read through what they're going to say. Um, If someone stood up here at the pulpit and said, Jesus didn't really die, he was just in a coma. And um, he didn't really die. And that's why after three days, he woke up again. No, I'll probably stand up and say, Jesus died. He had to have died. He had to have rose again from the dead. Um, We have false teachers in these letters. Some of these guys were teaching that the resurrection has already happened. Now, if someone stands up at church on Sunday and says the resurrection has already happened, I will probably have to stand up and say, no, that is heresy. You're contradicting the orthodox Christian traditional beliefs about what God says in his word. So we want to be, we don't want to be, we want to be true to what the Bible says. And there are things in scripture which we need to be a little bit more flexible on. And I need you to, when you're arguing with someone and getting into some of these debates that you can actually go, actually, this is just a strong conviction that I have. It is not central to traditional Christianity. All this is really just an opinion and we're not 100% sure about it. So some of the things that, that we need to guard against when it comes to false teachings I think there are about five of them that I want to highlight. The first one is outright heresy. And if someone stood up in our church and said, you find salvation through Jesus and dot, 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 then that is outright heresy. To be saved, you have to mend, you have to accept Jesus as your savior and you need to be circumcised. That is not true. Then we have false teaching that tickles the ears. And in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4, he says, they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. There is a danger today of rushing off to churches to be told that Jesus wants you to be happy and he wants you to be super rich. Those are nice things that we want to hear that will tickle our ears. Then there is creating speculation by making minor issues major issues. And this is what's happening with these false teachers right in the beginning that are taking things of God's law and turning minor issues into major issues. And fourthly, teaching that seeks to divide the church. So for example, today we can have someone that says, to be really spiritual, you need to at least be fasting every week. And if you're not fasting food every week, you're not really saved. Or, you know what, if you're not taking a full sabbatical from Friday night to Saturday night, I'm not even sure you're saved. And you start creating these divisions by starting to say that um, this is what it means to be a real Christian. There are dangers there that you need to be aware of. And then lastly, teaching to personally profit off of the flock. And we're going to see this in chapter 6. Now, Church of the Nations that we belong to wants me to preach more at other churches. So I need you guys to give because I need a private jet to get to all these churches. Please. If I start saying that, you can send me that nasty email that I sometimes, hey? (laughs) So for us to discern what is false, we need to spend time studying the original. 
The Reserve Bank, what they do, the guys don't just go and try and study every counterfeit um, note. What they do is they study the original so they can then identify what is a counterfeit. So I'm gonna encourage you, what is your Bible reading, Bible studying like in your life? Don't just rely on the 15 second TikTok video or or, um, Instagram reel to be the thing that helps you know what scripture is. You need to be studying this yourself. You need to take what he said from the pulpit and go back and read it and say, is this true? You need to sit in a life group when you start wrestling through these words to say, listen, I don't quite believe that. Let's wrestle this thing through together. I don't quite get it. This is why it's important to be in, in community studying God's word together. So, so, so Paul is challenging Timothy to confront these false teachers. And we as a congregation have leaders and we want to protect the flock from any false doctrine that might come in through different avenues. So in verse six, he says, but some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and they spend their time in meaningless discussions. You know what? I get very frustrated when Christians want to debate and debate something that really is meaningless to the bigger picture, to what God has called us to. There's so much he's called us to do practically versus just sitting back getting into these long debates that actually at the end of the day don't really change much. So be aware of what we're going to argue, what you're going to spend your time wrestling through. See, they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about. Even though they speak with confidence, they don't really know what they're talking about. There is a danger of being persuaded by someone who is just confident that seems to know what they're talking about. These guys are teaching the law, but he says they don't actually know what the law is about. So I, I um, was a tennis, provincial tennis coach when I was studying, and that was a way of me making money. So I know a little bit about tennis. But you know, when you go to a braai one Sunday, and... Um, Someone's there that has never played tennis before, but wants to tell you who's going to watch the Wimbledon final t- this afternoon. This guy around the bride wants to tell you, no, tennis is all about a big serve and a forehand. If you've got a big serve and a forehand, you know what, you can win anything. And it's all about just smacking that ball. And then I listen to this guy and I'm like, listen, there's way more to tennis than just about a big serve and a forehand and whacking the ball. I know there are some topics like the Grand Prix, even some rugby. I'm not a staunch rugby guy. I know when to keep my mouth shut and when to think like I am the commentator, the coach of the Springbok rugby team. These guys are saying things that they actually don't know much about when it comes to God's law. So he challenges them and he goes on a little bit of a tangent here and he talks about the law, not just being for people who are righteous, but for the unrighteous. And he goes through a whole list and he lists things like slave traders and liars and promise breakers. And he says the law was meant for the unrighteous. The proper use of God's law is to bring conviction of sin so that people are driven to the gospel of salvation. I want to say this, that the law of God is meant to be like a mirror. The purpose of the law is not as a means of salvation, but is to bring conviction of sin. 
So when you look at your sale, yourself in the mirror, it is not the purpose of the, the mirror is not there to wash your face, but rather to show that there is dirt on your face and drive you to the soap and the water. The purpose of the law is to convict you of your sin and drive you to Jesus Christ for salvation and cleansing. See, keeping the law can't save you, and many of these teachers would try and get people to obey the letter of the law down to the T to be saved. And actually, if you look at the law and you read the law, you will soon realize it is only through salvation in Jesus that you can truly be saved, and it's not through trying to keep the law. So again, I want to encourage, encourage you, New Creation Family Church, to spend time reading, meditating, and studying God's word. Then he, then he goes off to say this, and I thank Jesus Christ who has given me strength to do this work, and he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He gives a little bit of his testimony here. He goes on to say, you know what? In my, in my zeal, I persecuted Christians. I signed off the death of Stephen and many people. Many people died because of me. I was a blasphemer, a murderer. And then he describes God and he says, oh, how gracious, generous and gracious our Lord is. And he filled me with faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and he's gonna mention this a few times in these letters. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And isn't this beautiful? But God had mercy on me, so that Jesus Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And he kind of jumps into a bit of a, a praise session. All glory and honor to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. This is a trustworthy saying. When, he, when the Apostle Paul looks at the law of God, he doesn't say those people are the worst of them. He looks at the mirror of God's word and he says, I am the worst sinner of them all. And he calls himself the chief sinner. He says, I am the worst of them all. What is he saying here? That despite his past, despite his story, Jesus loves him enough and he found salvation in Christ. Doesn't matter what your history is and your story is and how, how, what terrible things you did. Paul reckons he's the top of the list. If you had to write a list of the worst sinners that you know, he reckons he's top of that list. So despite your past, despite what you have been involved in, you too can find salvation. And you too can be like Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, that despite your past, God can still use you in his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You can read about Paul's testimony in Acts 9 and in who he was. And I love how he says, then others will realize that they too can, can believe in him and receive eternal life. For those that have been saved later on in their life, 
I'm not talking about those who were Christians from three years old. I'm talking about those who got saved in high school and in varsity years. People that are close to you should see a difference, a change in you. They should be able to look at your life and say, wow, it is by God's mercy and grace that you are a different person today. There is something different about you once you came to Christ and became a follower of Christ. It should then help other people realize that they too can receive eternal life because of reading you as their living testament. See, you've got the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Living Testament. People get to read me as God's word. They may not be someone that's reading God's scripture, but they get to meet, to look at my life and see God's grace and his goodness because of how I have changed. The second thing I want to say that defines us that I learned from this passage for New Creation Family Churches, this needs to be a place of amazing grace, that people can encounter God's grace. I want this to be a place where People that don't have it all together feel welcome to come. I need the souls to be sitting here in church that I trust will one day get knocked off of their horse and encounter God's presence, where they can come and encounter the presence of God who changes you from the inside out. I need people sitting here in this auditorium that have a foul mouth, who are living a promiscuous, immoral lifestyle who maybe are drunkards and you can list all the things because this is the intention of people to find a place where they can find Jesus and meet Jesus. Please, New Creation Family Church cannot just be a holy huddle. It needs to be a place of amazing grace. And he says to him, look at my life. It is a testimony of God's grace and mercy in me. And if God can change me, he can change you. Look, what, look how Paul used the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in all writing most of the New Testament. Lastly, a thing that I learned from this passage is that so three, or the one thing that should define new creation it is that it's a place of godly accountability. And he ends chapter one by saying this, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. Now, I don't know who gave these prophetic words or when these prophetic words, but someone looked at the life of Timothy, Timothy and spoke destiny over him and purpose over him and said, I see these gifts and talents in your life. God wants to use you to advance his kingdom. Now he is in a fight with these false teachers. Now whatever his calling was, he's now wanting to leave it and run from it and maybe he's feeling a little bit discouraged. And Paul comes along and says, I wanna encourage you to fight the good fight of faith, not to give up. See, whether God has called you to be a teacher, whether God's called you to work with orphans, whether God's called you to the corporate world, whether God's called you to run your own business, whether you aren't even, whether if you're not even sure of what your calling is, whether it's just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, we need people to come alongside us and encourage us to be true to the calling that God has on us. See, I need people in my life that will come and encourage me to do what I feel God called me to do. Because we all get discouraged and we all feel like, this isn't going well. He's, this is obviously clear that it's possible to not fight this, the good fight, to fight it in a, in a negative way, not to fight well. To fight well, we must remember our calling. There are people who haven't fought well, 
who haven't finished the race. If Christianity is a long distance race, we need people who will come alongside us, who will be at my six, that someone that can come and encourage me when I feel like giving up. Because I have days where I don't feel like being a pastor anymore. You will have days when you don't feel like being a Christian anymore. You'll be a teacher who's like, I don't wanna do this anymore. I'm done with teenagers. Yet God called you and spoke to you to be an influencer for the younger generation. My question to you is, do you have people around you that can encourage you in your calling? Let us be people who encourage one another with the things that God has called us to. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who get caught up in in sin and false beliefs that give up on their Christian faith and walk away from their, their Christianity as we see at the end of this passage. I want to encourage you today to be an encourager. I want to encourage you if you are feeling low, if you are feeling discouraged, if you are feeling like this fight is too difficult, to pull yourself, to invite some people into your life to speak into your life and encourage you. Will you finish well? Will you fight the, the fight? Timothy, at the end of chapter in what, 2 Timothy 2, he says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. Will you be someone that at the end of your journey will be able to say, Jesus, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race strong. I wanna ask you today, from chapter one in the first letter to Timothy. What are some of the things that we can walk away from that we can do differently as a church? And I wanna give you three things to think about this week. The first one being around the whole thing about the false doctrine and false teachers. How much time are you spending studying and reading and meditating on God's word? And if you are not, I wanna encourage you to start. And you can start small by taking the YouVersion Bible app. There are nice devotionals and you can start small, five minutes a day. And you can get to a place where you're really studying God's word and you've got commentaries and you're really jumping deep into it. But wherever you are on the journey of God, please spend time studying God's word for yourself. It's good to sit in church and to be fed, but my goal is that you would also learn how to self-feed, to know how to take a New Testament book and to read it through and to study it and to wrestle with it. Then I want to ask you, is your life an example of God's great patience to unbelievers that you come in contact with? Let your life be a living testimony of God's grace and mercy on your life. Do you have people that you work with that look at your life just by the way you live, by what comes out of your mouth, by your actions, by the way that you live, when they look at you and say there's something different about you? What is, what is it that makes you who you are? Is your life that living testimony? And lastly, do you have people in your life that encourages you to be faithful to your calling? I know that some of you are called to be a Barnabas, that you are called to encourage other people. The church, this church needs people that can encourage you to be faithful to your calling. If I look around, I know today is school holiday, so there's less people here today, but we can look at a seat that normally has a certain person 
that now has stopped coming for whatever reasons, whether they have been caught up in sin or whether they're giving up on their Christian belief and they start backsliding? Do we have people that can go and say, be faithful to God's calling on your life? Run this race with endurance. Let us encourage you and exhort you to finish well. So do you pursue people in your life to be an encouragement to you and support you in your, your journey of faith? I'm gonna invite the worship team up and we're just going to...